Hi, Andrew. Hey, Neil. How are you going? Yeah, good. How are you? Good, mate. Good. Thanks for doing this. I appreciate it. Good, good. Let me just go and turn off these speakers in the, um, in the studio. Otherwise, we're going to get feedback. Yeah, sure. Do you work from home? Yeah, well, I've, I've got a, I'm very lucky. I've got a purpose-built studio come office out back garden. Yeah, I work from there. I had some um, studios and I've had a shop and all that sort of stuff. And, and the amount of time you spend working away, is, as, as you well know, during the week, I'd like to be back here with the kids, really. Yeah, nice. nice. So what is it, you've got like a standalone shed or garage, have you? That's... No, no. When we had the, um, we went a bit posh. <laughs> we had a big extension done. Well, the builders were touting for a bit more extra work, I'm sure. And they said, uh, well, listen, you could put a building down there and it could look really good and it could be your office. And I said, yeah, I'd, I'd build an office at home. So we kind of got talked into another building <laughs> <laughs> somehow. <laughs> so what is it, like a self-contained unit space? Yes, it's bricks and mortar, and it's supposed to look a little like the back of our house, except it's obviously not as large as our house. Fantastic. And yeah, so it's supposed to sort of mirror it, and it kind of does, really. It's not perfect, but it's been the best thing ever, really, because it means that I'm at home during the week. Yeah, that's so good. When you say studio, are you talking sound studio or photography studio on a photographic studio it's a sound studio with an office and a meeting room okay so you'll see clients there yeah yep 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 definitely but you sound amazing so i I know you've obviously got a radio voice but is the sound so good because of the booth that you're in i'm in a booth i'm using a neumann studio microphone and it goes through some nice software that helps you know, the tops and lower edges of your voice. And of course, that makes a difference. I hadn't been using it for my Skype interviews. But I've recently, because I do my Skype interviews in the office, so they can look at, I mean, they don't want to look at weird sound booths. So I do that with pictures and frames behind me. But I've just soundproofed a bit and put a better microphone in there. And it does make a difference because (laughs) people say, wow, I wish I had a voice like yours. I'm thinking (laughs) halfway there with a photo film. (laughs) (laughs) I'm thinking the same thing. I'll just have to deal with sounding like I'm at Wembley. <laughs> <laughs> you know, your voice, like, I mean, you sound like a radio presenter right now. If I talk to you in person and I don't see you, like, in the street, would I recognise your voice? I don't think you would, actually. It was funny. I did a workshop last year with Kevin Mullins. You know Kevin well, don't you? Yes. And there was a guy that came over. I think he came from Poland. And he said, they said I've come really to listen to Kevin. He said, but I, I'd watched a couple of your photo films. He said, I expected you to be much bigger. <laughs> I thought you'd be a little bit like Father Christmas. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not quite sure what you mean. He said, well, your voice, he says, I think you should be fatter than you are. So, <laughs> I love it. He didn't hold any punches. <laughs> Let me just check before we start that I can get these audio clips to you. I'll just play you just a quick, brief clip. And if you hear it, then we're in business, aren't we? Go for it. Sure you will. When Gwen first said that, you know, he wanted to get married. I- yeah? Perfect. Got it. My mute button won't work, unfortunately, because of this stupid loopback thing. That's okay. In fact, let me just press this button. It might well work. Uh, I'm going to just turn myself off for a second and count to ten. If you hear me count to ten, then it doesn't work. One, two, three, four. I can hear you. (laughs) Bugger. I thought, you know... I was really clever. Clearly, I'm not. <laughs> You've got to let me leave this part in the audio. This is great. <laughs> <laughs> I heard you do that to people. <laughs> That's fantastic. <laughs> I think we get a better glimpse into the real person. Probably we do. Yeah. <laughs> Our friends will start after Christmas now. <laughs> 
the secrets out. Just don't tell the kids. <laughs> is there anything else that you wanted to check or is there anything that you particularly want to cover or don't want to talk about? No, do you know, one of the really nice, I've listened to a lot of your stuff over the last couple of months since joining. It's, you've been my constant gym companion. <laughs> Not sure that helps me work out. Probably not. But I think often you hear people are quite surprised by what they get asked. And I think that's the beauty of it, just to let it roll. Oh, good, good. But I always like to ask if there's something that someone doesn't want to discuss. No, well, I don't think there's anything I shouldn't be discussing. Well, see, this is what most people say to me. They say, no, no, I'm an open book. So that leaves, <laughs> that leaves the door open. <laughs> I've done something wrong I don't know about. <laughs> the BBC declare, um, what was the pop star declared dead? What, recently? No, no, when I worked at the BBC years ago, I, I did this message, and I can't remember who it was. Big rock star. Anyway, I declared him dead, and he was very much alive. <laughs> and fortunately, I mean, that doesn't follow me into my photographic world now, but for many years working in radio, everybody would always remind me of the time I declared so-and-so dead. <laughs> well, it just might now. <laughs> well, who knows? <laughs> This is the Photo Experiment Podcast, brought to you by PhotoBiz X. This is the Photography Experiment Podcast, episode number 16, and today's special guest is Neil James from the UK. Neil is a radio broadcaster and the master of tying still images and audio clips together in what is known as photo films. That interview is coming up in just a minute. This episode of the podcast is brought to you and sponsored by the Snap Photography Festival. It's a photography festival happening in Wales in the UK on the 24th to the 28th of April 2017. I'll tell you more about the Snap Photography Festival later in the show and how you can save 100 British pounds, which is almost 200 Aussie dollars and 150 US dollars on your ticket or tickets when you purchase them for the festival. Let's jump back into this interview with Neil James. Today's guest is a former BBC Radio 1 broadcaster and his background in sound alongside his documentary photographic style has seen him become the pioneer of wedding photo films. If you're unfamiliar with the term photo film, it's a combination of stills and sound recorded on the wedding day. Think wedding cinematography meets stills photography where you see the images captured by Neil with the voices and sounds of the real wedding day interspersed with Neil's narration as he ties the story of the day together. Looking through his Vimeo channel, it's easy to recognise Neil is the consummate professional when it comes to both sound and imaging, and I love the way he's using both to tell his stories. Neil, welcome, mate. Thank you. Good to be here. How is it being on the other side of the interview? <laughs> yeah, I've not been interviewed very much. I'm not one of these rock star wedding photographers, so it doesn't happen very often. So it is different to the norm. Yeah, it was very much the other way around. One of my regular programs was an interview program. And so I was asking the questions. Yeah, that's what I mean. How is it being on the other side now, being asked the questions? Is it uncomfortable? No, no, not really. I mean, I think I've done a few workshops now and you're used to being asked questions. So it's not so unusual. And to be honest, we're, I'd like to think we're all open books in respect that we often probably get asked questions by people entering the industry and we answer their questions. It's no different to that. As long as you don't roll up something I wasn't quite, <laughs> wasn't quite expecting. <laughs> I'll try not to. <laughs> well, we'll see how I cope with that. <laughs> First of all, how did you get into radio broadcasting and how did that lead to photography? I always wanted to work in radio from the age of 
14, I think. Although that was accidental in itself, my best friend, his mother, worked at the local hospital. We used to, in the summer holidays, go down and play football at the local field, and the hospital was close to the field. His mother would give us a lift home afterwards, and we were walking through the hospital grounds one day, and there was a building, and it said Radio Hartford, which was my hometown. And I thought, Radio? This town? We've never had a radio station. It turned out it was a hospital radio station. I guess you have those where you are as well, surely, don't you? Like a community radio? I don't think we have a hospital, we have community radio. Yeah, well, yeah, we had very archaic radio rules, to be honest, and, and the government were very anti letting anybody go near a microphone unless, uh, and, unless they sort of had some association with the BBC or, or it was a big commercial association. So we didn't really have community radio in that sense, but we did have hospital radio stations, which their jobs were to broadcast pipes, music and messages and requests to loved ones and from loved ones to people at the side of their bed and that was what it was and I thought oh god that sounds like a lot of fun and I went along got bitten by the bug and and from that moment onwards that's all I wanted to do I must have bored my dad rigid with playing him demo tape after demo tape and I remember washing up was always demo tape time and he was the um he's long passed away now unfortunately but he was the most patient man in the world and because he had to listen to this tribe every single <laughs> what sort of things were you playing him just stuff that I'd, I'd, I was working on the radio doing request shows for you know for the patients in the hospital and we would record a cassette I'd play it back and He'd say, oh, that's not bad. You need to work on this and that and the other. And hey, he was really good. And as the years went along and I was able to go to the, if you like, in inverted commas, proper radio stations to go and do work experience, he used to give me a, a lift to these radio stations, some of which were miles away, miles out of his way before a work day. Drop me off. I'd do a day there. He'd come and pick me up. And so, yeah, that's really how it started. I'd be so bold as to say if my father hadn't been as encouraging as he was, I don't know, maybe I'd have ended up an insurance salesman. Not that there's anything wrong with insurance, but maybe I wouldn't have been in the creative arts at all. Do you see radio announcing? Is that the right term, radio announcer? Yeah, we call it presentation. Announcing's the same thing, isn't it? Yeah. Okay, yeah. so do you see that as an art form? I think some of it is. I mean, DJing can be, I can say this now because it's years since I, I was last considered a DJ. I think... That can be a bit inane, banal, and I'm not sure I could ever go back to that. I still love radio, although I haven't worked in it for a couple of years now. And, and even when I've been photographing over the last 12 years, there have been periods where I've done a breakfast show for a local station. So I've dabbled back into I can't quite extricate myself fully from it. And for many years, I did feel like I was a bit of a visitor in this business, to be honest. And I thought, well, I'll be here until radio, you know, I fall back in love with radio again. It's like photography, isn't it? If you were a photographer from day one, I think it would be very difficult to extricate yourself from it. And that's the way I feel about radio. And so the fact that they both now mutually meet, that's the best of both worlds. Yeah, for sure. So when you're doing work on the radio, is there room for you to be creative? It depends what radio stations you're at these days. The couple of local gigs I've had recently, I mean, I've been very lucky. I've worked in national, regional and local radio and, and the World Service. So I've seen all the different ends of it. Local radio, these days they're a little bit more scripted. They want you to do shorter links. It's almost like you're the taxi driver on the radio station, really. You're just delivering what you need to deliver rather than being truly creative. That's how radio in this country has become anyway. And I think they call it liner card radio. And that's the same in America. That's the same in Australia and New Zealand. You know, it's quite a homogenized business now. And a lot of these radio stations are practically like the, I suppose, like the McDonald's of the airwaves. You know what you're going to get. You're safe. It always tastes the same. It might not be that exciting, but it does the job. And for me, that's probably why I started falling out of love with it 12 years ago. 
Right, okay. I do want to get to photography, but just on the radio subject, did you ever think about, you know, starting your own radio show or, you know, podcasting and monetizing and making a living that way? I don't know whether I would have wanted to run my own radio station. I was a program director, funnily enough, for a few years with a former colleague of mine. And we had one of the country's first big internet radio stations. We were well before our time, though, because we didn't have the internet speeds in this country to actually be able to truly deliver something that was successful. It would just it would be like Buffer FM, to be honest. <laughs> so we were a bit too early off the mark with that one. But I don't know if I'd like to run my own radio station. As far as podcasting goes, yes, I'm interested by podcasting. I mean, what you do and the way you do it and talk to people around the world, fantastic. I'm not sure that would be my bag as for what I'd want to present. Probably because my background is going out and interviewing people, looking people in the eyes. I mean, for example, I've made some films about photographers and I'm just building on that at the moment. Um, there was one former conflict photographer and I went up to him and we walked around his fishing village. Whether it's visual or whether it's audio, hearing the background of the seagulls, hearing him talk about where he grew up and putting him in that place makes such a different documentary and it does for radio and I suppose if I did some podcasting that's the kind of interview shows I'd like to do but I wouldn't be able to do that many because of course the UK is a small place. Well I want to talk to you more about that because I just watched your Daytona video as well which I think you've recently uploaded man that was that was awesome let's get to that in just a minute because I want to talk to you about how you approach strangers too because that was incredible but how did the radio thing lead to photography or were you already into photography? Okay, so at the BBC many, many moons ago, it's not quite the same these days. There were far more opportunities and was more money sloshing around in that organisation then than there is now. And one of the things they encourage you to do was go and learn other skills. And I thought, well, I'm at the BBC. What better place to go and learn photographic skills, television and so on and so forth? I ended up with a stills photographer and spent some time photographing on set. You had to be very quiet because film cameras weren't quiet, were they? They haven't got silent shutter like you have on a Fuji these days. So you'd have to do it between lines or when the audience was clapping or whatever they were doing. And that was where I learned it. Then I put the camera down for many years, didn't touch it again. And it was only really 12 years ago when I was beginning to feel I wanted to leave radio that I picked it up and with beautiful naivety thought I can run a business in photography. Why can't I be a photographer? And, and approached it very much the same way as I had when I was in my early 20s trying to get into radio, thinking, why can't I be a broadcaster? I was clearly not good enough to be a broadcaster, but my dad made me believe I could be. And so I had to approach photography from the same angle. So who encouraged you with the photography? Was that your wife? Um, yes, Sam is my wife. Wasn't my wife then. We're just coming up for our 10th wedding anniversary. And yeah, she was very good. In fact, the day I proposed was the day she joined the business. And I said, well, look, you know, we... <laughs> We're joining a business. I was a bit more romantic than this, but as we I should get engaged as well. And so we set out on that adventure very much together with a small loan from my mother-in-law, which we paid back every penny. And yeah, that was how we started. We started really in a negative situation. And was this wedding photography right from the start? No, it was all portraits. I didn't see myself as a wedding photographer at all. It was portraits. It was schools. It was a bit of commercial work. I had a small studio up on a farm locally, which I don't have anymore. And yeah, that was it. To be honest, the idea was to do some photography, to hone my skills, to become better at it, but not to do it all the time. Probably to do half radio, half photography and employ people to man a portrait studio. That was the plan. You really approach it from a business perspective, really, yeah, by the sound of it. Yeah, very much. Rather than an artistic, creative sort of venture. Yeah, unashamedly. That's the way I went for it. 
So how did that lead to wedding photography? It was my best man at my wedding. A couple of years prior to that wedding, he'd said, listen, my brother's getting married. You do some photography. You know, you can come and shoot his wedding. And I said, whoa, 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 whoa. Wait. <laughs> no, 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 no. I said, Steve, I put my head in my hands. I said, I really, I can't think of anything I would rather do less than be at somebody else's bloody wedding every Saturday. And that, literally, that was word for word what I said to him. <laughs> I love it. But he's very persuasive. And he had me doing it. I did it for 200 pounds, I think. And I did another couple for friends, free. And then I thought, you know what? Actually, this is good. I can do this. And it grew from there. And now I've shot, you know, over 700 weddings. So something obviously did click, quite literally. So how long ago did you quit radio altogether and concentrate solely on photography as a way to make a living? Well, it's a bit like being an alcoholic. I'm a recovering radio presenter, I think. Um, I don't think I've ever left it. <laughs> so you're still doing some, even now, a little bit of moonlighting. Occasionally I get asked to do some voicing and things. So I don't, look, I'm not really in radio anymore. I certainly don't do a five-day-a-week show or three or two or one even. But if somebody said to me, listen, I've got a great documentary project here. Could you come and do this? Of course I would. It would be great fun. I'd love to do that. But the difference is over the last five, six years, really, my attitude changed entirely. I stopped feeling like I was a visitor in photography. And now I feel more like a visitor in radio. So they've turned around. And now I've, you know, I'm a photographer. If somebody says, what do you do? I'm a photographer. Mm -hmm. That's my job. I know that you're well-respected as a photographer. You've won some great awards for your photography, but I also think you're very well known for your photo films. I mean, is that how you see yourself? Or is that how you're defined or the way you see yourself as a wedding filmmaker? There's so many great photographers around. I look at them online. And I, funny enough, I hear a lot of guests, not only on your podcast, but other things I listen to or read, say that they never, ever look at anybody else's work. And I'm, I'm never sure whether that's true or not. But I do, because I think it's important to know who's around you. And it's nice to know who's around you. And do you know what? I enjoy looking at other photographers' websites and wedding websites. But the one thing that's become abundantly clear is that there are many people out there doing it, you know, really, really well. And I'm sure it is where you are as well. It's a cutthroat industry. It's extremely competitive. I live in the Thames Valley, just west of London, you know, everybody's a photographer the photo film thing which was frankly quite accidental again accidental i think that has not rescued my business that would be wrong to say but it's propped it up particularly during the the first financial crash we had a few years well, the, another financial crash rather we had a few years back obviously with the bankers it propped it up in fact i had my best year that year didn't do a lot of bankers weddings but i <laughs> <laughs> Definitely had a really good year. And I think if you look at the website, you'll think that every single wedding has a photo film. And that just isn't true. It's just under half of the weddings have a photo film. Difference is, I think in terms of marketing, the photo films play into somebody's psyche. They've heard a wedding, they've seen a wedding, they feel they've lived a wedding. So therefore, I think that even if they don't have a photo film, they'll still feel that like they're in safe hands. And I think that's what's made the difference. Because my photography, I mean, I think I've got to a stage where... You know, I think, yeah, do you know what? I can do this. Yeah, I like that. I'm proud of that. I think that's a cracking image. That's not so good. Need to work on that. But I'm, I'm no fool. I know that there are many other people that do this work even better than I do. I just, photo film has really been an edge. It's been an edge. Nice. Yeah, I can see that. And I think, you know, once you have that edge or that point of difference, then you attract clients that want it. It's fantastic. So I wasn't sure I was going to ask you how many, so only 50% or less than 50% actually take that option. 
Yeah, I counted yeah, last night because I knew we were talking. I thought, well, let me get my figures straight here. And I looked at the figures over the last couple of years. It's just under half. How many other people in your local area are actually doing this as well? Well, there is one other guy in the Thames Valley that I know of doing. No, there's two. There's two. One that sort of started, he dabbles a bit. And I think a lot of people, I've, I've talked at these at workshops, so it's not as if I could say, how dare you do them? Because I've... I've I've talked about how I do them and I'm open. I don't mind talking about how I do them because I know that most people will do one or two and they'll think, blimey, what a lot of work. Should I do one or two, then I'll just go back to doing what I'm doing. All the workshops I've talked at or held, you know, you might have 30 people in there and most of which will come up afterwards and say, what a cracking idea. I'm going to try that. And then you'll follow them. I do follow them and you'll see maybe one or two and then they'll go off the radar with it. Because it's too much work. Yeah, I mean, the editing sound is another skill, isn't it? It's a skill that you weren't expecting to have to learn when you became a photographer. It's another skill. It's tough too. I mean, I should talk to you about this off air, but with audio, you can't see what's being said. That's the most difficult thing. With video and photography, you can. Yeah, you can feel it. And that's, you know, without getting too deep about it, audio is such an important... I mean, it's not just because... I mean, I'm helped because I worked in broadcasting, because I understood sound. It's not just because sound can be potent. It's everything about sound that flavours what you experience. There's an advert running in this country at the moment about uh, looking after your ears and having your ears tested. It's a national chemist. And uh, they asked people if they could be paid what they would value the hearing. Most people said priceless because I wouldn't, you know, I wouldn't want to lose that because I wouldn't be able to hear my kids talking and so on and so forth. Or I wouldn't be able to hear music. And that's why sound is really, really potent, I think. It is. It is for sure. I mean, I, I'm an avid podcast and radio listener or, uh, I mean, I listen to books now as well. It's just... When I introduced you earlier and I described photo films, did I do that justice? Like, is it, how, how do you describe photo films to someone that's never heard of them? It's really, really difficult to describe to people, and particularly when I'm at a wedding and the bride and groom haven't told anybody else why the photographer just happens to be carrying a, you know, a bag full of microphones. And I'll go and mic somebody up. I'll put a lapel mic on them and they'll say, what's this? Yeah, you're the CIA? <laughs> and I'll say, no, and I have to start all over. I say, right, okay, the bride and groom are having... A special kind of film. It doesn't have motion images in it, just has the stills, but it's going to have the sounds of the day as well. That's about as involved as I'll get. And frankly, they probably don't care. They've had three glasses of wine. They don't care by then anyway. They wear this mic. But first of all, they think, well, are you videoing this? And I think that's a difficult thing to get over to people. My wife says that we're a best kept secret sometimes because I still think that a lot of people in my business, you know, possible clients, don't really understand it in their short visits they make to websites and they'll see a film and they might think oh right okay you're a okay you're a videographer as well and then they may not watch the film so that's a bit of a disadvantage sometimes i think sometimes people will look at me and they'll think okay your video and your uh, and yeah and, and that's not what i want to come across as yeah so how do you get past that so do you find that when the clients come to see you often you're showing them a photo film for the first time no, when people come to see me, they're qualified. They've looked at the site, yeah. And nearly every single person will say, well, I've seen, you know, I've seen all your photo films and there's one particular one, Sarah's story, which we'll talk about hopefully because that's important in this whole scheme of things. That They'll say, oh, I cried to Sarah's story and I never thought I could get emotional at somebody else's wedding. So, you know, in, in terms of, of business, it becomes an even more qualified prospect because they've lived a wedding. And that's why it's so powerful. And even if they don't buy a photo film at the end of it, and as you know, no, uh, half of them won't, they have still heard a wedding. And I think it makes such a difference when they connect that with pictures. Okay, so let me get this right. So you actually mic and record the sound for every single wedding, even if the client 
may not take a wedding film. No, 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 no. I should have made that clear. They'll have either purchased it before. My mics are always with me, and it does happen. Sometimes people will say, oh, I wish you would have had the photo film, and I'll say, well, you can if you like. <laughs> I just... Microphone. <laughs> really? That's actually happened? Have they said yes, and you've discussed prices? Not many times, but occasionally somebody has said, oh, I wish we'd have done that, you know, we should have done that. And they're thinking, oh, you know, and I said, no problem, we can do it. And actually, there's a couple of occasions where I've gone to them and I've said, listen, there's a lot of stuff going on today. You don't have to buy a photo film. And I don't pitch people like this on their wedding day because I don't believe it's the appropriate place to do it. But there's been a couple of occasions where I've said, can I just record your speeches? Because I think something special is going on here and there's da-da-da-da-da. And they've said, yeah, fine, no worries. And I've done that sometimes. And then upsell afterwards? Yeah, but only a handful of times. As I said, don't think it's appropriate, but there are a couple of occasions where I thought, you know, there, there was a particular reason. There was a father that was quite ill. I thought, just, you know, don't lose hearing your dad. Don't lose it. Because one day this will be the most precious thing he's ever going to say to you, and you're going to miss it. You'll, you'll see his photos, for sure, and that's lovely. But let's, let's record him. You know, I won't go up to them and be quite so emotional like that. I'm not. <laughs> no, but that's your thought process, and I totally get that. You know what it's going to sound like. My most precious recording I have of my dad, I mean, we live in an era, I was talking to a photographer about this yesterday, where we have so much easy access to recording our kids, our parents, our grandparents on mobile devices, and to good quality as well. And I didn't have that growing up. And so consequently, my family really were a Kodak capture family. You know, they captured everything on throwaway Kodak cameras and things. But we didn't take lots and lots of pictures. And we certainly had no film. We certainly had no sound. The only, only recording I have of my late father was from a breakfast show I was presenting in 90... I remember it's 97. I remember it. 97. Dad rang me up to wish me happy birthday as a surprise. Yeah. And... They patched him through and he said some nice things and only last 30 seconds. But I tell you what, if the house was burning down after obviously rescuing my wife and children, I know where that CD is. It's on Dropbox now, of course it is. And, and you know, that's the most precious recording I have. It's the only thing I have of my dad. You know, I've got thousands of pictures, but that one audio is so precious. How did you first come up with this idea? Had you seen it somewhere else? No, and... There is a similar kind of treatment at the BBC where if you couldn't get moving motion images out of, I don't know, war-torn area or something, these days you can so easily, can't you? But it was so much easier to get some audio and some stills out, then patch them together. That formed a story. I don't know whether that was actively at the back of my head, but I did know of that way of working. I don't want this to turn into the Grim Reaper of podcasts, but it was another sort of end-of-life experience that actually persuaded me that the sound could play a part. I'd not long had our new office built, and a, a couple came to see me. And I'd photographed them before, actually, because they had a, a little daughter called Darcy, and I'd photographed Darcy and the parents in my photographic studio when I had it. And Sarah and Wilson, her husband-to-be, came back and they said, look, we're having a wedding. I said, fantastic, that's wonderful. How's Darcy? Oh, God, she's five now. All right, fantastic. You know, how's she doing? School good? And I knew they had this wedding. It was a month away. And I said, look, I'm free on the date. That's why you're here. But why the rush? And she said, well, it's like this. I've got a brain tumour. It's going to get me. I'm not going to get it. It's a particularly nasty 
tumour, I'm going to lose the power of my speech, I will lose my vision, I'll probably lose what I can hear, I don't know, but I could have six months, I could have a year, but I just know that this is our last big hurrah. And I thought, I I was not for six. I said, well, I'll be there with bells on, (laughs) you bet, I'll be there. And out of the blue, I said, do you know what, I'd like to do something else. I would like to record it as well. And she stopped me straight away. She said, no, 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 no. She said, I don't want that fuss. She said, that's why I've come to you. I know looking at your website now, it's all quite informal. I like that. That's what I want. I don't want any fuss. I don't want, and I have nothing against video, by the way. There's some cracking filmmakers around, but she did not want tripods and other photographers, cinematographers. She just wanted one person to capture the day. I said, no, no, you misunderstand me. What I want to do is I'm just going to put some small table microphones around and I'm going to record the speeches because I knew she was making a speech. I'm going to record your husband's speech. I'm going to record the vows. And I'm just going to get some of the general atmos and then I'll make, if you like, a, a sort of supercharged slideshow. But instead of it just having five minutes of mushy music, it will tell the story of your day. Because right now Darcy's five and the sound may not mean anything to her now, but I tell you what, when she's 10, 15, 20, 25, 30, 35, she'll always have your voice forever. So I'd like to record the sound. She said, we'll have it. That's great. When you're discussing this, I mean, of course they're going to say yes. But were they in tears when you're talking about this? I think we were all quite emotional that day. Oh, it must have been the toughest consultation you've ever done. Yeah, yes, it was. And it's, it's probably the most important one ever, definitely. And probably that was a real, no, not probably. Without doubt, that was a real turning point for me. Up to that moment, I thought wedding photography, whilst important to somebody on their day, I never quite saw it as a legacy thing. And now I do. So it took quite a sad story, obviously, to recognise that fact. And it was supported really by something. Do you mind if I play you some bits? Yes, you got them there, ready to go, from this same wedding. Yeah, from this wedding. Yes. Sadly, the original, all the raw audio files, I don't have them anymore. But I do have the film, obviously. And and so I just had to nick something out of the film. It has the music underneath. So I really wanted to play you the dry bits because it's much easier to hear what's going on when it's dry. But it's only a 15-second clip. But if anything on that particular day underlined why the recording was important and I hope you can hear what's said because it it may be a little bit cloudy it was her talking directly to her friends and one particular thing she said so let let me just let me just play that that bit to you When she said, look after him for me, mm. I, I just thought, oh, my God. Mm. I just, I'm sure you do, Andrew, and I'm sure... It gives me goosebumps. I just... Listening to this, sometimes hold the camera in front of their face just a little bit longer because you think, don't let them see me cry. <laughs> yeah. I mean, for a mother to say that, knowing that she's not going to see a child grow up, that's heartbreaking. You can imagine that. She's five. She sat next to her. She's talking about her husband saying, look after him for me. And you're thinking, wow, 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 wow. I came home from that wedding that day. I thought, I'm in the right place. I've got to do this. You know, this is the right thing. Yeah. Let me ask you a couple of technical questions. So this is the very first time you've done this. How much gear are you using to record? And how confident are you that you've got enough to do it properly? It really wasn't the best gear for the job on that day. In all honesty, I was planning to record it. And I had this, you know, this great idea of what it could mean to them in terms of legacy. And I genuinely meant that. Perhaps I didn't expect I was going to do more. So I just got myself a little Zoom H2 recorder, table recorder. I set it on auto levels. 
and let that run. I think I had a lapel mic. Yes, I did. I had a lapel mic that I borrowed from a radio station, a local radio station, and I used that to record the groom. I got his audio was much better because he was wearing a lapel mic. But of course, Sarah wasn't wearing a lapel mic. She had a wedding dress on, so it was very difficult. So we went with the table mic. That's why her voice is not quite so clear as I would love that to be. But you can still hear it, obviously. So I really only had a couple of units. And in contrast to today, what are you taking today? Now, because often it's, you know, you sometimes have as many as three best men talking, don't you? So I have a mic for the groom. These are lapel mics. So they have a little unit that goes inside their pocket. Then it goes into a lapel. So one for the groom, one for the father of the bride, as many as I need for the best men. And if there are more speakers, sometimes American weddings, they can have, you know, sometimes six, seven, eight speakers. I have to rotate the mics a bit, but that doesn't take long. You're just unclipping a mic and popping it in another pocket. You're not missing much. So why not just put a mic up at the lectern? The sound won't be as good as clean. You know, the moment you introduce, you're listening to me now on a microphone that is in a sound booth. I'm next to it. I'm within 20 centimetres of this mic. If I step away, I become off mic, don't I? The sound experience isn't as good as, as when you're up close and personal. And that's what a lapel mic does. It suddenly, it brings you into the room. Right, okay. And then what are you using to capture the atmosphere? Little freestanding. I've not changed that much, to be honest. Little freestanding H1 microphones. I put them on auto levels and I, I pop them around sometimes because to make the edits work, sometimes you need to have the atmos of the room so you can cover the edit. I use that in the morning sometimes. Let me find one here. Yeah, during, during the makeup, sometimes I'll do this. I ask a bride to tell me about her husband. So often I'll have a little H1 and, you know, the makeup lady will be doing her work and I'll sidle in there and I'm taking a few close-up shots or whatever I'm doing. And I might say, well, Heather, you know, tell me about how you met your husband. Tell me a little bit about it. Not many people actually know this story, but I did tell Mick that when we kissed for the first time, I just had this weird, like, oh, like, I, I could probably do that forever. And I was like... That was kind of strange. <laughs> um, and so that was it. So you'd be amazed what sort of stuff you get. Um, it's, That's so cool. Down and you're chatting to them and they'll come out with this stuff. In fact, that particular bride remembered me recording this. And she said, I know you recorded me in the morning. Do you think it will be right if we use that? I might be a little bit embarrassed about that. I said, no, do you know, trust me, trust me. Let me put it in. If it, you really don't like it, I'll take it out. And she never complained about it. Let me be part of the story. No. So that one there, are you actually holding the Zoom recorder in your hand or it's in your pocket? No, no, no. One of those little, um, those tiny little hammer mini pod things just, and I'd probably hide it amongst all the makeup. There's always sun it up. Okay. So it's just hidden there in close proximity. That's right. And it's a bit more roomy, isn't it? I mean, that recording, for example, is not as, let me play this one. I mean, this is a best man, totally different scenario, but you'll hear the difference in the quality. The moment you put a lapel mic on somebody, wow, you know, it's as if you're standing next to them, you know, they're right next to you. And this is slightly longer clip, it's 18 seconds, but this is a best man. It's quite a funny moment, actually, because, you know, those unexpected moments, this is quite a posh do. The best man decided that this would be the moment to point out that he completely understands why his mate actually married into this rich family. When Gwen first said that, you know, he wanted to get married, I kind of wondered why. Uh, but, you know, having seen today, you guys are obviously loaded. You know, so, so, I, I get it, you know? So his microphone quality is much, much better, isn't it? It still picks up the laughter. <laughs> yeah. I'm laughing at what he said. I know the audio is fantastic. What a great wedding to be at. <laughs> yeah, no, it was a, that was a terrific one. It's one of my favourites. You shouldn't have should you? <laughs> of course we do. Now, with your wedding films, I totally get the audio that you're recording. Now, you do more than that because you add your own pieces in there, don't you, where you tie the story together. Yeah. 
I saw other people beginning to make photo films. And right at the start of this conversation, you said to me, well, are there other people in the vicinity doing it? And I thought, well, you know, yes, but there aren't many ex-radio presenters doing it. In fact, I can't think of any. So I thought, I tell you what, I'll start to narrate some pieces. It's not for everybody. And I'll be honest, some of the brides and grooms have said, do we have to have the narration at the start? And I don't, I don't feel offended by it. I said, no, no, absolutely not. At the start. Of course you don't. But then just as many people, I was at a wedding on Saturday. She said to me, the first thing she said when she came in was, oh, this is the photographer, the guy I was telling you about with the voice. <laughs> That's pretty cool. And she said, I wonder what you're going to say about our wedding. Then that's a clear indication that I will be writing a script for that one, obviously. It's a differentiator, though, isn't it? For sure, yeah. Have you got an example of you doing the narration? Do you know what? I didn't put an example of that down. No, I should have done. I mean, go to the website, and if you go to the wedding photo film link, which is in the menu, clearly, then pretty much all of those have an introduction. Yeah, pretty much all of them. Very cool. I'll link to those in the show notes for sure. Yeah, the American one for sure. That was really important because I wanted to tell this story about how we ended up all these thousands of miles away. And in fact, that American one, oh, damn, I wish I'd have recorded, I'd have cut out some audio because that would have been interesting. The American one also featured a bit of radio that I recorded, a guy telling the lame joke of the day, which just happened to be one about a divorce. <laughs> it was quite funny and it really fitted in well. And I rang the radio station. I said, listen, it's going to be very hard to describe, but I've just recorded your guys. I said, use it, go on, we're not going to chase you. So, yeah, that worked quite well. You'd be amazed at what you can grab with audio. You know, you hear stuff. I always carry a recorder around with me. Yeah. This is so good. Let me ask you about, first of all, the photographers. I can see you've started to build up a little bit of a collection where you've created photo films for other photographers. You alluded to one before, so Tom Stoddart, Jim Morton, Kevin Mullins, Paul Rogers. They are all fantastic. I'm working on one with John Swanell at the moment as well, who does a lot of work with the Royal Family, which is fascinating. Sorry, what's his name? John Swanell. He was Bailey's assistant, David Bailey's assistant, for a good few years. Do you know what, though? This is one occasion where he said, you have to turn your mic off now if I'm going to tell you this story. <laughs> so I've got some stories I can't use. I'm due to see him again because we're going, we've got a weird end to this. Um, by the way, I don't have a fascination with death or anything, but we've got this weird ending to this film. He bought himself a plot in quite a famous cemetery in London where a lot of stars have bought them. I mean, George Michael's bought his plot there and all sort of stuff. So we're going to end the film there. So I'm spending another day with him talking about his connections with the royal family, etc. I'm hoping, I really, because he told just a gift of a story about the Queen and the Corgis and something that happened. So I'm going to pinch him more and see if he'll let me put these ones in. <laughs> I hope you get it. They're, just, they're gold. They're gold. Why are you doing these? Are these paid gigs? No, it was a purely fascination. Purely fascination. I'm still really interested in my documentaries past. So it's a busman's holiday in that respect. No, there's a lot of me, that's wrong. There's a lot of me that will want to approach some television channels, maybe the arts channels, and see if they would be interested in this as a series. Although it does feature Kevin and Paul and Jim, who I think is a fantastic photographer. Equally, I'm going after the photographers now who are perhaps a bit more well-known in fields like conflict, royal family, photojournalism, who are much older because one day their stories will not be there to be told anymore. I think when you sit down with these, I'm a photographer now, and I sit down with another photographer and I think, wow, you've lived. These are amazing stories. And it's incredible how much photographers will let you into their lives. Most photographers are really genuine people that are really happy to discuss what they do, as you well found. It still amazes me every time I get someone on the line to talk to them for an interview. It amazes me. I mean, there's a lot of bravado, isn't there? You know, I try to avoid those that are full of themselves, although there's a contradiction because I'm talking about myself. <laughs> 
But there's a particular way I think some folk do it. My father's lesson to me was humility is really, really important. If you can keep your humility, son, you'll go far, which was a, an odd lesson to be teaching somebody. He was also saying, son, you could be a national radio broadcaster. <laughs> Full of connections in life, aren't we? We are, we are. With this series that you're doing or you're putting together and you've got maybe this big idea to take it to the, the TV stations at some yeah. stage. Yeah. So you're shooting video as well for these, not just stills? Yeah, for the interviews, I thought, yeah, yeah, I'd record them. Although, funnily enough, listening back to them, some of them would make quite nice podcast interviews. Yeah, I think so too. Yeah, particularly the Tom Stoddart one. I mean, it was a lovely day. We spent half a day wandering up and down a beach where he grew up talking about his early connections with photography. And then there's some lovely stuff in there, very personal stuff. Oh, yeah, I really enjoyed that one. But you sort of don't want to miss the photos that he's talking about at the same time and the stuff that he's shot. That's important because a lot of the time he's talking about there's particular photographs of Africa, the famine stuff that he did, the downing of the Lockerbie jet, which in this country was a big deal, prime ministers that he's followed. And there's moments as well. They're pictures that I think you need to bring up as he is discussing them. So the whole idea of that series, as I'm hoping it will become, is that people will sit down either with prints in their hand or with, as Tom did, with a book and he was fingering through the book and he was pulling images out. Then we sat there. It really was a glass of wine, evening, sit down, have a chat moment. And I think that's why it works quite well. When you're producing these videos at the moment, I can see that you would be you know, getting them ready to go up onto, say, Vimeo or to your website. Yeah. If someone like a TV or BBC wants to buy them, are they ready to go straight onto the TV? Yeah, I mean, they're all recorded broadcast standard. Oh, right, okay. So you actually shoot them high quality and then bring them down for Vimeo. Yeah. Sat there and all the pictures are signed off by the artist to be used, or they will be. If they haven't been now, they will be. You know, I'm aware of a couple of them that haven't, mm -hmm. but they will be. You've got a package there ready to go to... To a TV station? Yeah, I have. I mean, these are pilots because they're quite short. I mean, Tom's is, what, 15, 16 minutes, maybe 20 at most. I mean, there's easily a half hour, three quarter hour program in that, definitely. John Swanell's definitely because, I mean, he formed a personal, very close relationship with Princess Diana. And there are some Diana pictures we're going to use. <laughs> I mean, there's an hour in that alone, although we can't, you know, just talk about Princess Diana for an hour because he's done so much else. Do you expect then if a TV station or a broadcaster takes this up or takes your offer, then you have to go and redo all these or you can use what you've already got? I'd be able to use quite large elements of what I've already got. I would definitely have to go and re-record some bit. That's why I've not done too many with the, you know, inverted commas, famous folk, because two or three will probably be enough for a, a pilot series for somebody to say, I get it, we'll do it. If they say, I get it, we won't do it, I'll just carry on doing them the way I am. What do you get out of doing them for yourself right now? It's a project. It's a personal project. A little more, actually. There's no great thought behind this apart from the fact that I thought, I'd quite like to make a documentary. Let's have a go at such and such. And that's all it is. There's no great thinking mind behind this. It was just something I genuinely thought. I find photographers interesting. I find a lot of their back stories in photographic terms far more interesting than my own because of, you know, this great diverse well, they've worked him. I mean, take Paul Rogers with all the work. I mean, you interviewed him recently. Yeah. I mean, his incredible photojournalistic work. I find them fascinating. And with Paul, obviously, there was a little bit of a, well, how did you become a wedding photographer thing going on? Whereas, obviously, with the other guys like John Swanell, Tom Stoddart, there isn't that going on at all. And even Jim as well, Mortram, there's, that's not going on because they're never trying to be anything else but what they are. So really, this whole thing starts out as a personal project. Talk me through when you presented this idea, say, to Sam, to your wife. Does she say something like, Neil... 
we've got kids, we've got a mortgage, you've got a business. What are you doing spending all this time for nothing on this project? Yeah, I don't spend a lot of time on the doesn't make any money projects because I shoot a prolific amount of weddings a year and there isn't the time to do half as much as I'd like to do. It's a kind of a back burner. Have you ever watched Only Fools and Horses? I know the show, but I haven't seen it. Okay, so in the show, there's this character called Del Boy, who's a bit of a a roundabout London geezer. And he makes these promises to his little brother and everybody around him. And the famous phrase is, next year we'll all be millionaires. And that's a little bit how I feel with these personal projects. So so he said, what are you doing? Well, next year we'll be millionaires, you know. (laughs) Maybe one of them. Or if you don't do it, you'll never know, will you? It's a lottery thing. You've got to be in it to win it. And maybe the same way that it happened with me with broadcasting. One day somebody believed in me. It took that one person to say, well, I have that. And that's the same with everybody who succeeds in life, isn't it? One day somebody says, that's cracking. We'll have a bit of that. And then before you know it, you're, you're a filmmaker. That's so true. <laughs> that is so true. That's the story that I hear from so many interviews that I've done from the, you know, quote, rock star photographer. They were discovered and yeah. I mentioned earlier, this episode of the podcast is being sponsored by the Snap Photography Festival. It's more than just a photography workshop. This is an absolute party of a workshop, from what I'm told. There's a heap of speakers, over four days of presentations. There's party time, there's leisure time, there's activities outside and beyond the actual photography workshop. You'll have plenty of time to network, meet other creatives, and work on more than just your business. You get to work on your photography as a whole. I'm going to give you a rundown on some of the presenters, but before that, how is this list of topics that the 2017 festival will be covering? Things like making anything happen, shooting in any environment and getting great shots, developing creative concepts, photojournalistic storytelling, work-life balance, shooting film alongside stills, SEO, shooting boudoir, capturing stronger moments, fine art film and editorial approaches. There is so much content. And the speakers are just incredible. Just have a listen to the lineup of speakers. Well, some of the speakers that will be at the Snap Photography Festival this year, Andrew Billington. Now, if you are a regular listener to PhotobizX, you will be familiar with the name Andrew Billington. And if you are ever thinking about shooting mirrorless, no matter what brand, You've got to see this guy's work. He is incredible. And not only that, he is the nicest guy when it comes to sharing what he knows and how he does things. He's going to be one of the main speakers at Snap this year. I would go just to see Andrew. Candice Kusick, she's an amazing photojournalist, and she applies that approach to shooting weddings. And she's going to be discussing her thought process before hitting the shutter. And she has got years of experience as a real photojournalist. And I'm not saying that to upset any wedding photographers who take a photojournalistic approach. She really is a photojournalist. So she would be amazing to speak to. I want to get her on the show for PhotoBizX. I think she'd make an amazing guest. Cheyenne Gill, I'm not familiar with her work, but I love the sound of her session. In session one, she's going to be covering boudoir and bad arsery. And in session two, self-love and bad arsery. <laughs> that sounds so cool. Frank Boutonnet, who I interviewed in the last episode of The Photography Experiment, will be there talking at Snap. And if you haven't heard his interview, just have a listen and also have a look at his work. It is inspiring to say the least. And he's so committed to his personal work. He has it written into his contract that he can drop anything, even at wedding booking, and go and shoot 
for his project. That's how committed he is to it. He'll be talking about that and discussing that at his sessions. Hannah Millard is going to be there talking about filmmaking for photographers. This is a growing area for stills photographers adding video or filmmaking to their portrait sessions. Hannah's been doing this for a while now. She's successful with it. She's going to be sharing how you do it, shooting handheld, switching between stills and video on the fly at your portrait sessions and putting together something that's saleable at the end of the session and how to manage your workflow to be able to cope with the video and the stills from the same sessions. I don't know this next speaker, Jacob Loafman, but I absolutely want to meet him and see his work. I want to see him teach because his work is incredible and I love the topic that he's going to be covering. It's everywhere is awesome, bringing your creativity with you everywhere. And then on top of that, he has a second session where he's going to do a live shoot. He's going to be making epic pictures without epic light, backdrops or landscapes. How cool is that? I mean, we are so exposed to amazing scenes you know, on Instagram and Facebook, you know, these incredible mountainous backdrops or waterfalls or these amazing landscapes in Iceland as backdrops, the New Zealand Alps, you know, these incredible backdrops or, or, you know, amazing scenes with incredible light. And if you're anything like me, you're thinking, well, yeah, sure, I could make great photos in those locations too, but my clients don't pay me to go to those locations. I don't live in a location like that. So Jacob's going to be covering how you can make epic photos in any location. You know, wherever you're based, wherever you work, whatever you're stuck with, he's going to show you how to make that work in that live shoot. I think, you know, again, that's, that's worth going just alone to see Jacob speak. I've really only touched the surface on who's presenting, what's going to be covered during the four days of presentations. To find out more, head over to snapphotofestival.com. That's snapphotofestival.com. You can read about all the different speakers, what's happening each day, what's included, and anything else you might need to know before booking. Make sure if you do book, you use the promo code SNAP100 and you'll get 100 British pounds off the cost of each ticket that you purchase. And honestly, if I was able to go to one photography workshop slash seminar slash festival in 2017, I think this would be it. It just sounds fantastic. It really does. And uh, the, the fact that the atmosphere doesn't sound stifled it doesn't sound like you're going to be stuck inside a a seminar room in a high-rise hotel for four days in a row you know watching slideshows Uh, this sounds so much more than that check it out snapphotofestival.com Look, just to finish off, I would love to hear a little bit about the Daytona Beach video that you've just released. That is so cool. So just maybe describe it first so the listener knows what we're talking about. So we went on holiday to America. Summer just gone. My mother-in-law was having a big birthday. She said, uh, instead of buying a car or building an extension or something, she said, you know what I'd like to do? I'd like to take the whole family on holiday to Disney. There was nine of us, brother-in-law, sister-in-law, my kids, my wife, and we all went off to Florida. So we spent a week in Disney being Disney-fied and then we had a great time when Universal did all that kind of stuff. And then the second week we went to Daytona, which is a lot more sleepy, really. It was a couple of days in, maybe three, four days in, uh, taking my Fuji X-Pro 2 with me, just two lenses, one body. I think Sam, my wife, said, 
Go and do some photographs. Just get out. <laughs> I think she could see I was itching to go and do something photographic. I thought, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to stretch myself. Because as a wedding photographer, I never ask people permission for their photographs. I'm just there. And if somebody's having a drink or they're falling over or whatever, they're making an emotional speech or they're upset because they're making vows, I'm photographing a moment like you are. But I don't ask for permission. It's just there, it's happening before my eyes. Whereas I thought, you know what, I can't remember, that. it must be years, for years I haven't actually asked somebody permission if I could have or make their photograph. So that's what I did. My original plan was to photograph 100 people. In one day? Yeah, no, it was pie in the sky, it was never going to work, was it? Well, I was going, wow, that's all. <laughs> ridiculous notion. I just came up with this sort of number out of thin air. So it became a 35. and That's a bloody great effort. Yeah. And to be fair, I did some the next morning as well. So it wasn't just on one day. I went out and I would walk up to people. I think, you look interesting. I'll just engage myself in conversation and I'll talk to you first. I'm not going to just take your photo straight away or ask if I can make your photo. I'm just I'm going to talk to you for a while. And then I'm going to say, listen, you know, my job is a photographer from the UK. I'd really like to take a portrait of you if I can. Not many people said no. Not many people at all. I learned a lot about people. Do you know what? I wish I'd recorded them because they would tell their stories so much better than I do. How did you remember everyone's story? Did you, well, yeah, how did you remember? Yeah, what I did was I made their photo. I would turn around the block. When they were out of sight, I would just, I had a little notepad in my pocket. I'd just write a couple of notes because I knew I was going to make a photo film out of it that I would have to narrate a piece about each of these people. So I made notes about them and then just went back and revisited my notes. I love it because I'm in the middle of a, a hundred strangers project. Great. Not in a day, obviously. No, not, not in a day. I, I think I've only just hit 30 something myself and, and I've been doing it for a couple of months. So for you to knock over 35 in a, in a day or a day and a half is just incredible. Talk me and the listener through the process of approaching the stranger. How did you do that? Like in a, in a general term overall. It really was looking at people thinking you look interesting. I mean, it was no more complicated than that. There were some people I mean, Jeff, for example, who is in that film, he was a guy that was collecting tin cans. So, look, I knew that that was his job. I didn't know whether he worked for the local American version of a council doing it or whether he did it himself. I wanted to cross all this long grass to be told by him to watch out for the corn snakes on the way back. <laughs> so I remember talking to him and I said, what are you doing, Jeff? I always say, hi, my name's Neil. It's very nice to meet you. And then first of all, they'd say, well, what does he want? You know, and I'd say, look, I'm visiting from the UK. I'm on holiday here. What are you doing? And then people would just, they would just talk to you. Is that easy? Yeah, it was no more complicated than that. The beach was an interesting one. Because, I mean, you photographed women in their swimsuits. There's one woman on there that's just, how I say this, but it is just a, a very honest description of what we think of, I think, sometimes as this obesity problem in America. I mean, that's a statement of fact. That's not me being cruel. And I went to photograph her husband, who doesn't appear in that film, funnily enough, then I asked to photograph her. And I thought she'd want to get up and sort of make herself right for the picture. But she said, oh, you can photograph me, honey, as long as I don't have to move. And I said, but you're sat down. It's not going to be the most flattering picture. She said, ah, just take your picture. I took the picture and she said, show me. And I thought, no, please, no. So I showed her and she said, oh, it's great. That's me. I love it. I love that shot. <laughs> and she's happy in herself. It's, you know, there's no great. I never set out, as I say, at the end of that film to make art or make a statement. They're not the most artistic pictures. They're probably not the best portraits. They're all natural light. So sometimes they suffer from backlight issues. But they are real pictures about real people. And I tried to keep the shutter count to one or three. That was my aim. About the first, I said I could only make one picture and that was it. And he did count. 
Well, what I should have done is turn the camera onto silent and just motor wound through things, shouldn't I? <laughs> straight. I can understand, and I imagine you found this easy to do while on holidays in America. Do you think you could do the same thing in your local town? I think it would be harder. Why? I say on the film that I don't think it's necessary because they're any different in America to here. And you know, when I came back, I thought, do you know, maybe they are. And I live in a sleepy little middle England town. And I wonder whether people would be like, why do you want that? I don't quite understand. You know, they'd want to interview you almost. <laughs> do you know what? I haven't tried it here. It would be easy to do in London. Wouldn't be a problem. Manchester, Birmingham, London, Glasgow, Edinburgh, any of these large metropolitan places, not a problem. I think uh, I'm doing another one, actually, in a couple of months. I'm going up to uh, what will be a sleepy seaside town in midwinter called Great Yarmouth, which looks a little bit sad and tired when it's all closed down as being lashed by rain. And I'm going to do a black and white sort of really moody picture of that place. <laughs> Hopefully it won't be too depressing. <laughs> That's a theme today. Yeah. This time I'm going to record them because I want to meet those. They really do have these old fishermen that are out there at 5.30 in the morning being blown around. You know, that's the kind of thing I want this time. Yeah, nice. Neil, this has been an absolute pleasure. I love what you're doing. Half my audio, look, look. Oh, really? You've got more audio to play, really? Save it for another day. Have you got something you want to share, particularly? Do you know, there is one, actually. And, you know, this, if I leave you with a thought of why I think voice in a slideshow can be so much more potent than music in a slideshow. It's back to dads, isn't it, really? I mean, I did a wedding. In fact, I think this one was earlier this year. I've got a feeling this might lead us out of the interview and the show. So before you play this and before you just talk us through the leader, where is the best place for the listener to check out your work and see what we've been talking about? Neiljames.com. N-E-A-L-E. Funny spelling. Australian cricketer got that from. And yeah, that's it. That I know you mentioned my Vimeo channel. There's stuff on the Vimeo channel, but it's all sort of mix and a hodgepodge of stuff. There are some portfolios on my Vimeo channel that probably are interesting, which is just called The Photographers. That one has all the films that you've been alluding to. And just before we do go into this audio as well, I didn't know that you run workshops and teach this stuff. Yeah, I do. Is that online courses? Is it face-to-face? How do people find out about these? I like to press the flesh see people. I'm doing one with Kevin Mullins in December, then maybe some more next year. Yeah. Okay. So where do people find out about those when they're happening? How do they sign up? Generally, the last few have been with Kevin. So probably the best place is to, isn't it funny to send you to another photographer's website? (laughs) I don't mind because I think he's such a sterling guy and some amazing work. You know, you know that as well. He's a friend of the podcast. (laughs) Yeah. KevinMullinsPhotography.co.uk. He always gets a mention. He got mentioned that Daytona film as well, didn't he? He did. (laughs) (laughs) You go there and you look at his training workshops along with his incredible street stuff that he does and the workshops he does because I'm doing these things at the moment with him. I like working with Kev. We generally team up and do a course together. So he'll do all his photojournalism things and his SEO and and talking about online activity. And then I'll come on and do my little photo film thing. Fantastic. All right. Well, I'll make sure there's links to that. And I'll talk to you between now and then. If I hear about something coming up, I'll let the listener know as well. Please do. So shall I play this audio then? Yeah, yeah. So just tell me again what was happening. Yeah, let me give you a lead in. So this dad was, now I've photographed a couple of his daughter's weddings and he was always really together. He's a consummate, consummate speaker, very confident in front of people. Nothing throws him. This will be the last wedding as a father he's talking up, his final daughter to get married. I could see him 
I, I thought, you're going, you're going, you are. And often that's what I'm thinking when I'm watching. And you might do the same, Andrew, I don't know. When I'm watching speeches, I'm thinking, you're going, it's going to be long. Okay, so this is what he delivers. Maybe it's not as powerful as Sarah's story, the one that I originally talked about, the whole reason for doing photo films. But I think this is the reason I record them, because I'm thinking, yeah, yeah, you mean this. You're, you're one of life's good guys. And this is what he said. And so to our lovely dear Anna. She's a... Ever since the day she was born. And she's radiant. She's absolutely stunning. Looking even more beautiful than normal. Mum and I are so proud of you. And love you dearly. Bit of silence after that probably worked well, wouldn't it? <laughs> it's very, very cool. That's love. It is. It's so, so true yeah. what you say about the audio. It's, um, yeah, it gets to you. Neil, thanks so much, mate. It's been a pleasure. My pleasure. It really has been lovely talking to you because I've heard your stuff that you do with other photographers and it's genuinely really inspiring and it's fabulous to listen to. So, you know, it's a real privilege being here. All righty. I hope you enjoyed that interview with Neil James. Neil, if you're listening again, mate, thank you so much for coming on the show. I had an absolute ball chatting to you and thanks, mate, for sharing so much about your process and what you do and and how it's all working for you. Like I said, it's been a real pleasure. For you, the listener, if you want to check out some of Neil's work, head over to photobizx.com forward slash tpx16. If you go there, you'll find the show notes for today's episode, links to anything and everything that Neil mentioned, examples of his work like I mentioned, plus you'll find a comments area at the bottom. If you've got any follow-up questions for Neil, hit him up there. I know that he'd be happy to come back and answer those questions. And I think if you feel anything like me after that interview with Neil, it'd be well worth getting him back on for the Photo Biz X podcast to find out a little bit more about the business behind his photo films, how he makes that work. So I'm going to hit him up for that after this interview goes live and see if we can set something up. Another big thanks to the team at Snap Photo Festival for sponsoring today's episode and the Photography Experiment podcast. Without them, the show wouldn't be possible. Remember, use the promo code SNAP100 to get 100 British pounds off the cost of your ticket. Head over to snapphotofestival.com to find out more. <laughs> I don't know if you can hear all the noises going on in the background while I've been recording the, uh, the intro and the outro for today's show and also the, uh, the bit about Snap Photo Festival but I'm recording these little pieces while I'm in Bali on holiday. I'm sitting out the front of my hotel foyer. It's pretty much out on the street. It's quarter to seven in the evening, so things are starting to pick up as people start heading out to dinner. There's more taxis than any other vehicles on the road. It's just crazy. Well, actually, there's more motorbikes than anything, and then uh, as far as cars go, there's just taxis galore. But so far, the holiday has been just fantastic that the temperatures have been 30 plus celsius the water temperature is just amazing both in the ocean and the swimming pools and we haven't had a drop of rain and uh by just looking up now and the sky is turning pink i should wrap this up and get down to the beach and uh and snap up a few photos before it gets dark all right i'm going to leave you with that i'll have a <laughs> i was going to say i'll have a great week i want to tell you have an awesome week and i'll chat to you soon bye for now You've been listening to the Photo Experiment Podcast with Andrew Helmich, brought to you by PhotoBizX, the podcast to help you build a successful portrait and wedding photography business. To learn more, head to photobizx.com.